America's Card Room is bringing the Online Super Series 6. From April 15th to April 24th, you'll find 76 killer events spread out over 10 days with buy-ins as low as 6 cents. The OSS 6 has $2.5 million in prize pools, including the $1 million guaranteed tournament on Sunday, April 24th. Only at America's Card Room. Okay, welcome to Ask Alex, episode 83 on the OneOuter.com podcast, sponsored by AmericasCardroom.com. If you want 27% rate back from AmericasCardroom.com, simply sign up for your account by clicking on one of the AmericasCardroom.com adverts on the OneOuter.com website. You'll find them on the side or in the many podcast posts. That's all you need to do, set up your account and you will start to receive 27% rate back. Follow us on Twitter at OneOuter.com and join the Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash OneOuter. This episode and all other previous episodes are on OneOuter.com website and also via iTunes for free. If you want to send questions in for Alex on a future show, then send them to uh, questions at OneOuter.com on email or tweet or Facebook. Alex, you're back from your little breakaway for your battle your latest battle, and you're a little bit under the weather just now, a bit of a bug and stuff, so we're going to go easy on you, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how this pans out and see how it goes. Yes, sir, yes, sir. So apart from being sick, um, how are you feeling today? Uh, I'm, I'm good, you know, I'm not, uh, the, the, the three days after the battle were pretty brutal. I, I did something, well, I don't know how I could have known this, but uh, I was taking this supplement that just really helped me with my nerves and stuff around the time of the battle, and it really helped me practice because normally I just get so anxious about something like that. It becomes it, it becomes difficult just even practicing mm-hmm. and getting my stuff together. Sorry, I was about to sneeze there for a second. And uh, I was taking a supplement that really did a good job of that, uh, uh, protecting me from that. And then I... Uh, well, my wife found out that that supplement is really bad for your digestion, which normally wouldn't be that big of a deal if uh, you don't take that much of it and you don't have anything else going on. But I got a stomach virus or something like that. And then combined with what was already in my gut, it, uh, it, 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 it was pretty bad there for a couple of days. It was, uh, it was not fun, but, uh, yeah, uh, the battle went well. The trip went well, so that was good. What you're telling me is you're juicing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I was juicing. I was juicing. Uh, it was like, it's essentially this tea that, I'm not even going to say the name of it, because I looked it up like really intensely after this whole thing, and then I, I found out it, 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 it can be pretty bad for you if you take a lot of it, and yeah, I know. Well, won't promote that. Yeah, exactly. I, I was just laughing. Yeah, I, I don't think a, a rap battle league is a place where you start doing drug tests. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, that was, <laughs> well, was pretty, I think they just yeah, anything goes. It was pretty funny at the rap battle. It was like it, between every battle, like everybody left to smoke weed except for me. It was just me and Carlos and uh, Andrew from the Thinking Poker podcast just sitting there. We were all just sitting drinking carcinogenic tea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, pretty much. It wasn't carcinogenic. It was just... Uh, or, yeah, yeah but I, I see. Yeah, the joke works better that way. Yeah, but... Yeah, yeah, but you've ruined it. But anyway, we'll move on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well now just like yeah, you're all sitting with this tea going, Look at those idiots smoking weed. Like I'm glad yeah, we don't do that's that. Pretty much, like, that's pretty much how it was, yeah. No, I try this tea's like it, it's totally safe as long as you don't do something like I would do, which is like take it every single day and then I I did that just while I was there traveling and I read it. It was like, Oh, this is actually pretty hard on your system. Oops. And then, yeah, so, but I was literally just staring at them, look at those kids getting all foggy with their, with their weed, I'm sitting here drinking my tea, I'm so disciplined, and then, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, that wasn't quite true. Yeah, nothing, nothing's good for you these days. No, and um, so how how did the battle go then? Can you reveal much about it? What do you want to say? Yeah, about? Uh, the the battle went uh, fantastic. It went uh, uh, it it was pretty. Uh, 
I practice my ass off because really the thing is I, I think if in like four battles you have two chokes, I don't really think you're going to get invited on again. And uh, it was probably for a pretty good reason. And I didn't really want to shuffle around and like even like uh, like DFW Battle League is a pretty small battle league to begin with, but they do get a lot of views. And uh, I, I really just didn't want to go to, you know, it, it was kind of like this was make or break. Like if this didn't work out well, I wasn't going to go to like Kentucky to start again, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, Empower and Respect is a pretty big battle league. So I show up the day of the event. Uh, I find out all three of the guys that got paid from DFW Battle League to show up there. I, I was just like the fourth guy. They needed to replace somebody. Uh, the three guys uh, from Dallas that they paid to get there like just uh, just didn't show. And they'd already been paid, uh, which really uh, put me in a weird spot, which I didn't really appreciate because they thought I was with that group. And I, I was like, no, uh, I'm from Costa Rica. That, that's a that's a little different. And then they do the, oh, you're from Costa Rica. And it's like, well, no, not technically. Well, OK. And then, you know, it's like yeah. there, there's, <laughs> not, there's no real good answer to all that. Right. And then. Uh, but, yeah, uh, the guy I was battling is probably one of their best battlers like he heads the one of their leagues right like he runs one of their leagues and uh yeah he came with a pretty amazing performance it was pretty funny though the first round he starts and he's like i hate all you people from texas and i was like mouthing words i was like i'm not from texas right mm -hmm. i heard your ep it was garbage i don't have an ep right and it was just mm -hmm. And then I realized, like, the, what I found out later is they changed his opponent, like, four times. And then they told him, like, you're going to have, you know, you're going to have a guy from Texas, right? And a lot of these guys kind of, like, dabble in music and blah, 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 right? And that's what he wrote for. And then when he got me, you know, he kind of figured it out a little, you know, a little late, mm. right? But he did freestyle, like, you know, he made fun of my shirt. He made, he made fun of a few things I said online, and it was pretty good. Uh, my first round was probably my weakest round. Uh, I can't I, – I had a few, like, really good bars, but uh, I wasn't really scared this time, which was really good. Uh, I, I practiced my ass off for this battle. It was also just nice, like, you know – practicing for the battle we were in santa cruz and it was like santa cruz is like beautiful you know what i mean whereas you know like in dallas the part of dallas we were battling and i thought i was going to get shot at you know when i was outside practicing and then uh <laughs> yeah uh my first round was probably the weakest i pro i had a few like really good punches uh it, it went over pretty well with the crowd uh, the, the crowd was really into it, but I messed up like my most like complicated scheme. Uh, so I wasn't too happy about that. So I think the first round, uh, he, he probably edged it out a bit. Uh, the second round it, it, the one cool thing about the first round though, is he came with a bunch of video game lines and I, I could see how some people could give me that round because he came with a bunch of video game lines, and I don't know how this happened, but I had a bunch of video game lines, and they they just happen to be better, right? Because they're lines I've been working on for a while. Uh, mm. They're bars that, that I've been working on for a while. And uh, some people might have really liked that prediction, and, yeah, you know, how it worked. Uh, the s second was, uh, to be honest with you, I can't remember a whole lot about his second round. Uh, my My second round was... Uh, uh, my second round was fire. That was the first. That, that that was the only round where I just like really barred out. I I really like. I brought like every crazy line I could think of, and uh, I had to keep stopping and going back because the crowd was, you know, like making so much noise. At one point, the host like did like a full 360 at one of my lines, which was pretty cool, and. Uh, yeah, uh the third round he uh the third round he came with a pretty like monstrous uh round which was pretty uh it, it wasn't really personal but the lines were really good and he has like a really good like deep delivery 
and it's kind of, it's kind of like getting punched in the stomach when he's uh, he he's rapping. It's like really you know he's like really delivering, and the crowd is like reacting. And at the end uh, of his third, somebody said, "Fight back if you can," right? And uh, I I think I did because my third round was like really. Uh, I I mean like watching his battles, I I I felt I dissected his career pretty well. I brought up some things I don't think he really wanted to be brought up again. Nothing like that wasn't fair game, you know. <clears throat> Nothing that would be like, you you know, like out of bounds, but uh, definitely some stuff you probably wouldn't want brought up. And then uh you know we kind of talked about his battle rap career a little bit. And like where it had been going, and uh, I didn't. I did get some reactions in the round, but I th- a lot of times it was just quiet while I was dissecting him, which I, mm-hmm. I kind of like because there's some there's some battles that are like really brutal where you know it just gets real quiet when you're going in on a guy, and I think that last round is kind of up to your taste. I think I've won the battle. Like, I've never said I've won a battle before. I think I won the battle because I think when you, like, don't even really write for the opponent uh, and the other guy writes a bunch of really personal cutting lines and delivers it as well as possible. Like, I didn't botch up. I had to run one bar back because I started it wrong. I screwed up one punchline. I didn't choke. I didn't do anything like that. He had a cleaner delivery. He's obviously the more experienced MC. Uh, but uh, I, I thought my lines were a lot more cutting. I thought I delivered them. Uh, I, 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 did, I thought I delivered them well enough. And mm-hmm. in my opinion, I won the battle. And uh, it, it was it, it, it was great Like to... You know, normally at the end of the battle, like, people are like, yeah, you know, you did your thing with me, which is another way of being like, yeah, uh, you know, you came out here. We appreciate that. That time it was, you know, mm-hmm. everybody was really into it. So that was, yeah, yeah it was definitely pretty cool. It was, a, uh, it, was a, it was a great league, too, like, really diverse. People were really having fun. I, I, I was really, uh, I was really happy to be out there, and it was a, you know, it was an uh, it was an honor to get to battle somebody that good, you know what I mean? A lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys get a battle with somebody like that. And then, you know, it's, uh, they don't really deliver. I hope I, you know, delivered well enough that, uh, I can, I can get something of that caliber again. Yeah. Yeah. And is it online now to watch or is it coming uh, out soon? They had round one up for like a preview for a while, which I, I, I think was probably the weakest round in the battle, but, uh, the, uh, it kind of heats up throughout the battle. Uh, I think they've taken it down by now, but this league's really good at getting the battles out pretty quick. Uh, they're, they, they, this league gets a lot of like big names and it, as far as I can tell, they get the battles out pretty quick, so it should right. be out. Now, pretty quick can be, like, within a month, you know what I mean? But it it won't be like last time where DFW Battle League was – I mean, like, not not to get into specifics, but DFW Battle League went through some pretty tough times, and it was kind of like somebody had my footage, but nobody was releasing any footage, and especially not mine, right? So I – with the last battle, I, I just pretty much asked for the footage and I edited it and put it out there. You know what I mean? I put it on their channel, you know, because they did shoot it and everything. But, yeah, I, that's not going to be the case this time. It's probably uh, going to be out a lot sooner. Okay, cool. Um, So I'll keep an eye out on Twitter for that. I'm sure all your followers will as well and share it around so everyone can, can get to see it. Yes, sir. Um, all right, let's get into the questions then. As I say, we're going to try and keep this nice and easy for Alex this week. And, <laughs> uh, let him get back to bed and get get recovering. That's um, exactly what I'm doing after this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, okay, so first question is from Tony, and I think this is the one that requires the most sort of uh, mathematical working thought or whatever. I, just from looking at it, I can okay. see some numbers, but I don't think it's too brutal. So anyway, it is uh, from Tony, uh, with an I, and hi Barry and Alex, uh, I'm Tony, I really love your podcast, please keep it up, 
Please also help correct my English if it is wrong. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. Uh, I want to ask Alex this question. I'm currently playing $4 to $10 MTTs online. My EV big blind per 100 uh, is minus... On the big blind, is minus 28. And on the small blind, it is minus 11 over 5,200 hands on each position. I'm happy with my small blind plays, but not my big blind. I review my hand history and find out that most of my check raises versus people have flop c-bet statistic 80% on paired board. Uh, on paired board, flop is not successful. I'm losing minus 80 big blinds over 100 over 50 samples. People seem sticky with that flop. Do you think I should stop check raising it and don't bet more or I just ran to the top of their range over small samples? What do you think often of this situation? Sorry again for my English. Thank you, Alex and Barry. Nah, your English was perfect. If I could speak like that in Spanish, I'd be a very happy person. Uh, yeah. Uh, you're, you're working with a very small sample size uh, right now. So what that means is you probably, if you notice, uh, a lot of the check raises, I'm guessing where you might be messing up is their opening range might not be that wide. Uh, it's really good that their C-bet is 80% or plus, but you also need them to be opening a lot of hands because that means they just brick a lot of hands. And then uh, you also want uh, to be making sure that the boards you're selecting are good. Sometimes, uh, like the board, like if the board comes King-Jack-10, that's not really a terrific board to check raise. Uh, I, I don't think you're check raising that board, but just an example for people who are listening right now. Uh, sometimes there's, uh, like an ace high board might be, especially if the person fast play aces, that's, uh, that's not really a good board to check raise, uh, cause the person's likely to have a lot of ace X combinations. Uh, if the person checks back ace X combinations though, and they see that you can get away with check raising there just because there's not that many ace X combinations that they're, uh, C betting. But uh, there are some boards that you should be staying away from. There are some opening ranges you should be staying away from. My guess is that you just ran into a very small sample size and probably just a pretty bad run. Uh, Your big blind uh, numbers are excellent. Negative 28 is very good. Uh, That means you're saving the big blind. uh, That means you're saving the big blind 72% of the time, which is wonderful. Uh, at lower stakes, you probably can get it a little lower, but it's going to take more than 5,000 hands to determine this. You're probably going to need to play 100,000 hands uh, before you get like 20 times what you've played uh, before you can get a real metric. Now, if, you're, if you don't get to play that often, like 20,000 hands, 30,000 hands can tell you something. Uh, but... Uh, and right now, what, what it's telling you right now is that you're doing the right thing. And whether you realize it or not, uh, if, even if you check raise and it doesn't work out, people remember who gives them a hard time from the big blind, and then they don't open on that person as much, which is probably leading to your number being pretty good, uh, the negative 28. So it, it keep, keep reevaluating the check raising, reevaluate why you check raise. Uh, look for reasons that you should be check raising, and then uh, yeah, we'll see if we can uh, uh, you know be sure to write back in, and we'll see if uh, it's going well from that point on. Okay, let's get straight into the next question. Then we'll try and keep this short and sweet as possible for you, Alex. All right. Um, you put in the work in many other episodes, so <laughs> we, don't, we don't mind getting you back to bed and getting you fit for for next week. Um, this question is from Mike. Uh, hi guys, I would like to know your views on taking money out of my bankroll and into savings, other investments, rainy day fund, etc. I've tried to do it before, but if I go on a downswing, then I always end up topping up my bankroll or reloading from my savings and or other funds. What's the balance here? Any tips would be great. Thanks, I love the show. Uh, generally, I take about uh, 10%. Uh, depending on how aggressive you want to be, it can be like 10 to 20% of your profits every month. And you just take that out uh, for, for what have you, right? Uh, Whatever investments that you you think that whatever investments that you think would be a little bit more swing for the fences. 
in that doesn't necessarily mean a very risky investment that that could just mean it's going the money's not going to be freed up for a number of years uh depending on how aggressive you want to be i'm not all that aggressive i go with about 10 percent uh it generally and a lot a lot of times you know when i was paying a lot of bills and stuff like that it, it just wasn't anything right uh right right now uh i'm paying off back taxes which is coming together quite nicely pretty fast a lot faster than i thought it would to undo a number of years of just uh you know like drug addicted mayhem and <laughs> you know well looks like you made this much that year yeah yep yep uh, how much you got left of it nothing yeah, what'd you spend it on? No idea. No, come on, man. What'd you spend it on? I, 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 I'm not joking with you. I don't know. <laughs> like, but so you don't have the money somewhere, right? Because we can find out if it's in the Cayman Islands. Like, look, I'm not. If you want me to keep repeating, I was stupid with my money. I will keep doing it, but I'm not enjoying it, right? No. But like, yeah. <laughs> anyway, but like, yeah. If you have like, you know, if you have like credit card debt, you should not be. Not. I've never had a problem with that, but like. As an example of that, uh, uh, as an example, uh, use that. Like, if you have credit card debt, you shouldn't be like putting money into anything. You should be paying that off because whatever dividends you're getting from something else is just getting eaten up by interest. And it's okay to like, you know, live a little more lean. Uh, uh, I was talking with a, uh, I was talking with my accountant recently. Or this accountant or somebody with that, and they it, they were kind of remarking. It was like, wow, you didn't, you know, you didn't like have a ton of profit uh, this year. And I was like, well, yeah, I didn't have a ton of profit, but like I got a lot of things like taken care of. You know what I mean? That were really stressing me. And now, you know, going into the future, going into future years, uh, you know, just having paid that off throughout the year, like going into future years, that'll allow me maybe to save like 20%, whereas uh, 10% wasn't working before. Uh, I was talking with Carlos. Carlos is my financial advisor. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was the one. But yeah, I was, I actually, he's not, he's super good with money. So he was kind of like, yeah, man, you know, you got to pay things off. But I, I remember, but I, I, I did feel a little silly saying how much money, like uh, I I had to pay off for taxes last year or whatever, but yeah. Anyway, uh, it, it, but yeah, I would take like uh, the years I've done this, uh, like ten percent, twenty percent. Now, if you're topping up your bankroll, my guess is you're being a little too aggressive with it. Uh, generally, the idea is to play below your means. So, what you want. Like what I see a lot of people do is like they make a pretty big bankroll playing with like 100, 150 buy-ins in MTTs. Uh, they cash out like 20, 30 percent of it. You know, uh, they sp they spend like half of it on a hoverboard. Uh, the other half, you know, they put in their Uncle Earl's like New Delhi, and then uh, yeah, then eventually uh, they have to buy the hoverboard before it, they have to sell the hoverboard before it explodes, and they <laughs> uh, yeah and. Uh, but it, it, essentially, usually I find the people that have to top up. I don't, I don't, I don't say top up. That's a euro thing. But reload, uh, the people who have to reload. I find, I, I find like if you know you can reload, I find a lot of people take risks they probably shouldn't, and uh, I, I think it's better just to have obscenely tight bankroll requirements. All the money I made. Uh, I, I definitely, like, I'm a competent, good poker player, and I think I'm a very good poker player these days. Uh, but a lot of the money I made at poker, I was not a good poker player, but I was a very good financial manager. In uh, that wasn't really because I was a smart person. It was just necessity. Like, uh, I, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to uh, reload because, you know, uh, a lot of my money would just go from month to month, uh, uh, originally for like family expenses, eventually family expenses, and then you know extracurricular expenses. But uh, <clears throat> they, uh, the the thing a lot of people don't realize is if if, if you act that like that money is gone, it will effectively be gone, right? And then when you're just losing one one month, you don't you just don't take anything out of it, and you move on from that point, and. Uh, yeah, a lot of times uh, I find another good way to do this. I, I 
I, I hasten to, uh, I, I usually don't want to recommend this to people because, uh, people go, okay, that's what I'm going to do then. Uh, a lot of times it's when you get a big win. I think a really good idea is just to lop off most of it, put it into something else and then just pretend like you had your old bankroll. And then, uh, that's really good, especially if you can invest in a house or something like that. And a lot of times, like, the big wins in poker are enough to buy a home. Like, uh, you can buy a home in the United States for $100,000. Now, you're not going to be in Manhattan, but you can do so. And in a lot of these countries, you know, like, if if I looked at, if I looked like at real estate magazines in Costa Rica, I would think I was never going to be able to afford a home. But if you like actually get in the know, you know, mm-hmm. it would be a little different. And, uh, it, I think that's probably a re- because it's really hard to, you know, go, Hey, Hey, uh, Hey honey, I, w- I want to mortgage the house. I got to get back into the big game. You know, like <laughs> I, that, that's a little more embarrassing. You know what I mean? So you're probably just, whatever bankroll you have, you're going to work with. Now you want to make sure you're not house poor as I've heard that term, but to me, I don't know how the hell you could be poor with a house, but well, I guess, you know, if you have like a typical job but with poker players, I don't have sympathy because I just assume, you know, they, they had $103,000. They spent a hundred thousand and, uh, a hundred dollars on the house and then they were like all right back to high stakes with this 2k in change (laughs) you know but uh yeah i'd uh yeah it's more of a it's more of a you know i i'm i'm guessing you might also have living expenses that are uh because like what i would usually do is i'd take like 10 percent out for you know whatever like paying off uh, you, you, well, first you got to take off whatever your taxes are. That's what, something I didn't do for years when I was a kid because I was stupid. Uh, but you know, you take out your taxes, you take out your savings and, uh, you take out, you should at least make it at like 5%. If it, if it seems hard to take out anything else, just take out 5%, but you take out your taxes, you take out your savings and you take out your living expenses. That's where a lot of people like screw up because there is a lot of things like you don't have to order takeout every single day. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's a big, that's a big thing. Uh, it, it, that's a big thing that a lot of people like I was doing a webinar for, you know, like 30 people at, you know, a hundred bucks a pop. And I ordered a, I ordered breakfast for like $12 because I didn't have time to cook myself breakfast. And even then I felt pretty stupid. Like I was just like, God, I mean like 12 bucks for a breakfast. I could, you know, like how much does like three eggs and some rice and beans cost? You know, that's pretty. And, uh, you know, I see a lot of poker players, they eat out all the time. They spend a lot of money on weed. They spend a lot of money on drinking. They spend a lot of money chasing, uh, ass, you know, and it's, it, uh, usually it's a lot better to find a good girl. Uh, you, uh they spend a lot of money on energy drinks. That's another thing. You know, that's pretty funny. Like, and I like a good, I like an energy drink too, but like, you know, I can't be drinking three of them a day with a $20 blunt. You know what I mean? I can't, that's just not going to work out. It's just like coffee, water, coffee, water, coffee, water. Uh, bring down your expenses. And then that usually allows you to free up some money that you can play with a little bit. Uh, good luck to you. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the key thing there is when he said topping up the bankroll. That's like, you're playing at a level and you're rather than dropping down, you're maybe like, I'll stick in another thousand so I can keep playing at this or, you know, a right, couple of hundred right. to keep me. Whereas if you drop down, then you still got your 200 buy-ins exactly, or whatever, exactly. whatever rule rather than topping up. Yeah, it's important. We've spoke about it in previous shows. It's important to take money off the table. Otherwise, you just, you're just playing a computer game effectively. You know, like, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's just... You're playing for points. We're playing for prizes here. Yeah, exactly. exactly yeah. It's, a prize, it's a prize fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Uh, right. Okay. We're going to go last question for today, Alex. Uh, the third one. Um, uh, and we, it's from Zach. Um, Hi. Can you talk about playing live MTTs, mainly Vegas ones, as I will be going there shortly? One or two day events is what I'm looking to play. What's the top three things I should be looking to do and exploit specifically on the Vegas scene? Thanks. Okay. 
I in the Vegas scene, I, I haven't been to Vegas since last uh, WSOP, so I'm just going to assume. Well, I talk to a lot of live players, so I should be I should be pretty good at telling you what to look for. Uh, the big the big thing that's really helpful right now is if you raise to anything, they just call from the big blind. Uh, you raise now if you make it two x, that's not really much of an advantage because a lot of times they can turn a profit. Uh, if they call you from the big blind. But if you make it 2.5x, 2.75x, uh, live players these days have this thing where it's, uh, you know, I well, I got a, uh, I got a call from the big blind. I'm getting a good price, right? But I got to be careful because now it's kind of a bigger bet. Like, no, no, if you're going to make a bigger investment from the big blind, yeah, you need to check raise more, donk leave more, uh, float more. And they do the exact opposite. That's a huge advantage these days is you just raise and uh, they call and you you uh, you end up taking the pot in position a lot more often. You make them play their big pots uh, out of position. Uh, conversely, you should be very wary about playing a big pot out of position. If it gets 2.5x or higher, you should be very wary about flatting. Uh, I, I would also, hmm, let's see, what else is going on as far as live poker? Uh I've noticed you can shame a lot of people into playing faster. You you do that. That is really a huge crutch of playing live. Is you end up whether you realize it or not, you end up playing like a hyper turbo. Uh, I saw a final table. My friend said you got to see this, and they showed me a WSOP final table, and they were literally playing like eight hands a level because there was so much time banking, and mm-hmm. I was, uh, I was like, well, if that's gonna be my table, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to deal with that. And I was, uh, I was in Vegas, and there was a kid who was time-banging a lot, and I just started screaming. And magically, he got a lot faster. And, uh, I mean, I wasn't like me, and I was like, God, I was like, you must be a good poker player. you got a lot to think about, man. Like, this is, you got a lot to think about. I bet you're thinking about your whole damn life right now, man. I bet, you, I bet you're going back to the first hand you played. You're going to bring up data on that, man. What, what's going on? You know, you just keep, you can, you can make it uncomfortable, right? You can just make it uncomfortable for the guy. You got to be a bit of a you got to be a bit of a jackass, right? And uh, if the guy like re- keeps like doing it, you just call time on him. Like every time the floor comes over, uh, you know you're the jerk. I, I I don't really care. I I don't really particularly care for live players or poker players for that matter. Uh, I like I like poker professionals. I like my students. I like very astute. Uh, I I like the people that do this like very. Uh, I actually I don't even like professional poker players. I, I what I like I like I like the people that are like hey, how would you put it? You put a you call it a recreational. Yeah, I like recreational guys. Well, even like a ringer would be like the great way to say it. Like you can play with a recreational guy who's a ringer, right? He can be like he can create a problem for you, right? But he's not going to be a j- jerk about it, right? There's a real culture of like uh Poker used to be, like, cool. You know what I mean? Like, po- going to a poker game used to be, like, the cool thing. Like, it used to be fun, right? All we have are these, like, whining, sniveling little kids these days. You know what I mean? Talking about what they deserve. It's like, you gambling. Like, do you go to the ru- roulette wheel and throw your drink at the dealer? Like, the, I mean, or whatever the hell they call it. But, no, I mean, I like the people that come out there and they're just out there to have a good time. And that could be a pro. That could be a recreational player when you go to vegas they're they're getting better though i'll be i'll be fair you know the last time i was in vegas i was pretty impressed with a lot of the younger people i was a lot uh i always like playing with the older folks because they seem to have a little more uh social knowledge but the, the younger generation i get the idea they're starting to like get married and they're starting to you know go back to school and stuff like that and they're getting a little bit better socially so i'm just being kind of a curmudgeon but they're, uh, yeah, uh, don't be afraid to, like, give people a hard time if they're taking a long time because that is unfair to you and everybody else at the table. Now, if it's like a, if you can tell it's a guy who doesn't really know what he's doing, just leave him alone. He doesn't, you know, he, don't make him uncomfortable because he might never come back, right? But if, it, if it's a kid, you know, he shows up with his hoodie and his beats headphones and he's double-checking his hand and staring at you through his Ray-Bans, like, by all means, scream in his ear, Pretend it's a rap battle, you know, and just go after him. 
Uh, but uh, let's see what else as far as live poker. Uh, I I'm noticing a lot of uh, I'm noticing a lot of people are like just flatting raises with big cards, uh, just kind of crappy big cards. Uh, because in the old days, this is really taken a long time for live players to figure out. But like in the old days, if you can remember the days you'd watch like a like the grinder Mizraki and uh, uh, or even a, like a real callback like Gavin Smith or something like that. They did a lot of calling pre-flop. And then, you know, everybody would fold and they'd be heads up with somebody and they, and they could do some flop jujitsu to, to take the pot away. That doesn't happen as much anymore. People are squeezing a lot more and uh, pe- people are calling a lot more from behind, which puts them in a lot of spots where they have these weak, easily dominated hands. If you get, if you see a guy who's constantly like flatting like that, uh, you do want to make sure you get behind that. When it goes raise and call, uh, you do want to make sure you get in there with some of the suited uh, connectors, the suited gappers. If you're like 50 big blinds deep, uh, you want to get in there. Uh, But if you have big cards, I, I would really just I try to isolate it with one person or fold. Uh, especially, and there's nothing wrong with like three bet folding like ace queen off. Like if you three bet ace queen off and a guy four bets you and you think he's bluffing 10, 15% of the time, but he's, uh, you know, he's got the hand the other 85% of the time, just let it go. Now, a lot mm-hmm. of people will never do this. Uh, because they're really worried about what, what if I do get bluff? Well, usually people do not bluff when there's still another person to act behind as much as they should. Uh, live players do get a little obsessed with their like four bet, uh, like pissing for distance contest. But uh, generally, you'll know who's going to be capable of, of that. Like usually, the younger guys always want to. They feel like if they can outplay you this one hand, it's going to prove they're actually a real poker player. There's uh, uh, some of the older folks want to do that. A lot of guys won't do that as long as the stacks are such that they're going to have to move all in in order to prove you wrong. Most guys don't have the chutzpah to put it in with just the weaker aces. So a lot of times I'll just – and I'm usually what's really fashionable right now is just to call with your entire range. So I wouldn't worry about people forbetting you. I mean, usually when they four bet there, it's like jacks plus, ace king plus. It, it, even even though it, they could get away with a lot of bluffs, I, I just find it's so popular these days for people to like call that that tends to be what they do. So I would with your big cards and like suited gappers, if one person raises, I I typically three bet if I know the guy's just not. It, it also helps depending on what your image is. Uh, if you're a lady, it works a lot better. If you're, uh, you know, if you're like in your 40s, please play that up. Play, please wear a very cheesy windbreaker and like a Venetian hat or something <laughs> like that, you know. But like uh, if you're my age, you got to be a lot more careful about what you three bet because people just constantly think you're making, uh, yeah, you're just making fun. Uh, you're just kind of having fun with it. And uh, I, I think in those cases, uh, in those cases, what you can do is three bet. Uh, what what you can do is just three bet a little bigger. And then generally, what happens I've noticed when you three bet a little bigger is people go, "Well, I can't four bet because that would just be ridiculous." But I can call. When really it's the exact opposite. Like if somebody makes a two point five x. And, you know, the typical three bet would be like to 5x or 6x. If you make it like 6.5x or 7x, if if the person is bluffing, the four bet is really profitable because now you're getting a full 7x as opposed to like 6x, right? But people won't four bet. That. What they'll do is they'll just call these days, which is just if, – if you if you take a look at Cardrunner's EV and you run that, that that's just like slitting your wrist. It's really hard to make that profitable. So make your three bets a little bigger if your uh, image is such as that people are going to be suspicious. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I think those would be – those are the big things I have a lot of guys focusing on now. I'm sure some of you guys have heard uh, 
versions of this come up on the show, but they're really, uh, they, they're really, they, they really do work quite a bit in the live sphere. The other thing about live poker I always do is that uh, people really do not want to turn over their hand. That's one really great thing about tournament poker is when it's all in and they call, they have to turn over their hand. So uh, a lot of times I'll do a triple barrel bluff I wouldn't normally do. Uh, and the other reason people aren't going to think you're triple barreling bluffing is if it doesn't work out, uh, there's this culture at the poker table where everybody everybody just kind of wants to talk about, like, look at this guy who got out of line. It's much more, it, just like in life, poker, everybody kind of wants to be in this pack where they don't really try anything, but they can kid themselves that they're good at it and uh, never really take a big risk. And then, you know, when it comes time to win the flip, they lose and they can go, oh, I got my money and good. And it's like, no, no, you suck at this game. I'm sorry. Uh, like it, you, you had a very clear triple barrel spot before you didn't go for it because you were afraid of being embarrassed, right? You, uh, but this is really great for you if you can execute uh, a triple barrel bluff, because if you can, uh, nobody's going to really expect it because in live poker, you have to turn the hand over, right? They're assuming you have this embarrassment that they have. Uh, if you just don't feel it, or if you just don't care, like, yeah, I get embarrassed pretty much every time I play live poker. I have to turn over something ridiculous at some point. And uh, if I don't, that usually just means the situations that day were pretty bad. Uh, but, you know, there is a lot of times I have to turn over, like, a pretty bad hand. And that's just, you know, that's just life. And uh, But a lot of people will never do that. What they really won't do is they won't call off. With something, I ran a triple barrel bluff deep in a really big tournament last year and the guy like huffed and puffed and looked like he was going to cry and he had like the second nuts when he finally called and like to give you an idea to give you an idea of how much people do not want to call right so like if the board comes like uh you know if the board comes something like let's say it comes nine seven five and there's like two diamonds and you know your guy check calls and you know he, you know, he would uh, have check raised a set. You know, he would have check raised three of. Uh, the, I just said that a set, uh, two pair, a straight, the not flush draw, all these strong combinations. He would have check raised when he check calls his his hand is like one pair. Even if that's tens, jacks, or queens, he probably you probably would have heard a little bit more from kings or aces. I just go for the gold a lot of the time. And uh, what that means is I will triple barrel put the guy in because nine times out of ten, the guy's not going to call off with even just his worst over pairs, right? E even like the jacks or tens there, if the board rags off, he a lot of those guys don't want to call off, especially if it's a bigger buy-in. Uh, the, the, the thing is, like, if, you, if you're going to do this, you also must go for value, like, very excessively. Like if you let's say you have king queen, the board comes eight three two, uh, you see bet the guy calls. When that turn comes a king, I don't understand this, and I don't think I ever will. Uh, I will see like live players like okay, time to check, time to keep this pot small. I don't, I don't, I don't get it because like I don't know. I like grew up in cash games, and cash games were always like making as much money as possible, and there's. A lot of tournament players, they tell me, like, this guy's the next big thing. This guy's amazing. And it's like, I go play with them, and all he does is, like, hit hands and check. Like, all he does, he's really good at hitting flops and getting nothing from it. If that's, like, uh, if that's like a sick skill I need to learn, I, I will be proud to never learn it, right? Because 90, uh, nine times out of ten in tournament poker, a guy's not going to turn a hand into a bluff. Turning a hand into a bluff is, like, a cash game thing. That's really why you can't, like, really thinly do this stuff that I'm talking about. Like, you can't bluff every coordinated board, like I was just talking about. In cash games, you will get figured out really quickly. You also can't, like, triple barrel top pair uh, uh, as nearly as much as you'd like to because people are going to figure out, oh, he, he value bets even some weak pairs on the river. Well, okay, I'm going to raise the size of the pot and see what happens, right? And then... uh. 
and a lot of times that'll do pretty well, especially some people widen out their value betting ranges to like second pair and stuff like that. Uh, but it, it, anyway, in tournament poker, you can widen your ranges to like second pair because a lot of guys will, uh, after they get, after they've seen you triple barrel a number of times, they're going to start getting wary. The first few times in my experience, usually people just don't want to call unless it's somebody who's like really insecure and is really worried they're getting bluffed. Uh, you can usually tell them by the very graphic hoodie and the gelled hair for the missing bald patches. But they're uh, sorry, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm, I'm giving I'm giving a lot of people a hard time. But uh, there, uh, no, you'll uh, there'll be like uh, uh, you'll be able to catch the boards where people just do not want to fold for some reason on dry boards. A lot of people don't want to just do not want to fold. So, like, if that board comes 8-3-2, the turn's a king. Like, to me, if I have king-queen, I'm going for three streets, and the river bet's going to be pretty significant, right? And uh, because a lot of times when I see bet these days, nobody folds to the C bet, then nobody folds to the double barrel. Like, the turn will come that king, and they'll have fours, right? And uh, I, I have my ace-jack or whatever I'm bluffing with. And uh, I'll see bet, and they, they will not fold fours. Like, if their life depends on it, they will not fold fours. But on the river, if you bet pretty significantly, they'll be like, God, I need a king. And it's, if they're going to only call you a top pair on the river, but they'll call you with, like, fourth pair on, you know, uh, mm-hmm. or even, like, some gut shot high cards on the turn, that means they're folding quite a bit on the river. And this is before we even discuss, like, overbets and stuff. People really do not want to call overbets. Uh, uh, live, right? Unless it's, uh, if there's a flush draw out there, they'll always tell you, they'll always tell themselves they have a flush draw, right? But like, not like an overbet all in, but like if on the river, let's say there's like 7,000 chips in the pot and you bet like 9,200, if some guy like calls that and you have the hand, they just want to kill themselves because it's like, oh my God, it was so obvious, right? And they do not look stupid when they fold. You look dumb because overbets are not really popular, right? So if you overbet, they assume like, well, if you were bluffing, you didn't need to bluff that much, which isn't true, but okay, let them think that. Uh, If you were bluffing, you didn't need to bet that much. And if you're betting for value, you just miss value. So really, you're the bad player here. I can fold. Most people play poker not to be embarrassed. All right, most poker players, most people play poker because they think they want to make money, but they want, what they really want to do is put themselves in a position where they can complain about their luck. Uh, They want to put themselves in a position where they can kid themselves that they did everything to get what they want. Uh, And really what ends up happening is they just kind of like pedal around and hope to hit hands, right? And uh, if they see... If you put yourself in a position where you're an idiot, if they fold, and uh, that's really good. They'll fold a lot because then no sweat off their back, right? If you bet half pot and they have like a decent pair, now they're going to feel stupid if they fold. Now they're in, in my experience, they just, if you get a fold there, that's usually like the best player at the table. That's the guy who really calculated through, right? and uh, figured it out. It generally does not happen, right? So you can kind of play it a little more basic with live players and, like, you know, bit, you know, big bets to get some big folds. And you can bet half pot, and a lot of times they'll just go ahead and call you with whatever. And, uh, okay, I'm done trashing on all of you. <laughs> okay, well, that's enough for this show. Alex is going to go back to bed and get himself fit for next week. Where we'll sure. so keep keep. If you've got any super mathematical questions <laughs> for next show, Alex promises to dissect them all. So, uh, how can people get private coaching from yourself and uh, all your poker head rush twitchness, etc.? Uh, yeah, if you guys want to talk to me about private lessons, uh, write me at assassincoaching@gmail.com, and then. Uh, also, if you guys want to sign up for the newsletter, go to PokerHeadRush.com. Uh, the newsletter sign-up is to the right. That's 
that's pretty much the big thing you guys should get on. Uh, that's pretty much every Thursday I write a I, I write a free strategy article for you guys. I used to publish them in a bunch of different magazines. Now I just kind of send it straight to the source, you know, like the people who actually like buy stuff. And, uh, it, and even if you don't, you're like a big enough fan to like sign up for the newsletter and that's good enough for me. Right. And, uh, uh, yeah, that's been really fun because there's some certain things I can say to like a couple thousand people that I can't really, you know, I can't really publish in like Bluff Magazine and Five Million Magazines or whatever it is, right? And then uh, our back in the day, whatever it was, right? So we kind of, we go deep on a lot of the stuff. We also talk, you know, you get more than one strategy article a month that there and that that's where you get to hear about all the deals, and stuff like that, what's coming out. So yeah, be sure to sign up for that. Uh, you can also check out what we got for sale at twitch.tv slash theassassinato. Uh, if you want to get a copy of Cardrunner ZV or Flopzilla, uh, let me know. Just write me. Uh, I can get you a bit of a deal on it. And uh, yeah, check check me out on Cardrunners at promo code, uh, use promo code FREEMONTH, all capital letters, to get two months access to 2,000 plus videos for just $30. Follow me on Twitter at the Assassinato, and pretty much follow everything on PokerHeadRush.com. PokerHeadRush.com has all the new rap battles, trip reports, blogs. I'm about to put up a new trip report today, uh, and a new strategy article today on PokerHeadRush.com, so you guys can go ahead and check that out. Uh, yeah, all that, all that good stuff: strategy articles, trip reports, blogs, uh, battles. Uh, it's got the links to everything there. The the podcast you're listening to now, the uh, the Facebook fan page, the Twitter, all that good stuff, it's all right there on PokerHeadRush.com, so be sure to check it out. Okay, and uh, keep your questions coming in for Alex. As I say, send them into questions at oneouter.com on email. That's the preference for myself. And uh, we will accept them via Twitter and Facebook and whatever way you can be bothered. <laughs> um, thanks for listening. Alex, thanks for still doing this, considering you're fighting, you know, fighting the sickness bug. Yeah. And we hope to hear from you next week. You're fighting fit. Sounds good, man. I'll be here. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers. Cheers. America's Card Room is bringing the Online Super Series 6. From April 15th to April 24th, you'll find 76 killer events spread out over 10 days with buy-ins as low as 6 cents. The OSS 6 has $2.5 million in prize pools, including the $1 million guaranteed tournament on Sunday, April 24th. Only at America's Card Room.